Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Okay, good morning or good afternoon if you're listening in the afternoon. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing. Today, we are going to focus on all things customer success, customer engagement. We have an amazing guest with us here today, Asha May. She is a top 100 CMA strategist, a VP customer marketing, and a leader in customer experience, engagement, and success. So thank you for joining us today, Asha. Thanks for having me, Jane. I'm so excited to jump into this because I feel like customer marketing is having its moment. Finally, this year, it's kicking off because we keep hearing, just like we keep hearing, you have to do more with less. <laughs> That's the the mantra we did not want for 2023. Um, we're also hearing retention is the new demand gen. I'm seeing that everywhere because that's where our focus has shifted for a lot of marketers. So I'm so excited to jump into this. And before we get into the meat, could you give yeah. us a little background of how you got into B2B marketing and the customer side of things? Yeah, absolutely. My sort of path, my career path has been not by design by any means. I graduated from college with a degree in accounting and a roommate who actually, who was uh, a marketing, uh, her degree was in marketing. Oh, wow. And we always had this sort of uh, playful back and forth in terms of which of our roles were more meaningful in the business. Uh, <laughs> both, but, very. <laughs> both very, absolutely. But I, after spending a few years in accounting, in the financial world, I really needed to look at something different. I just wasn't as motivated with the direction my career was going. And I had a, a good friend who was at Gartner as an analyst mm. and she really loved what she was doing and encouraged me to look at an opportunity and had the good fortune of being hired as an industry analyst at Gartner. And that's really what pivoted my career. So I took kind of the analytics that I developed on the yeah. financial side and now applied it to more of an industry perspective. So it was covering the, the outsourcing space. Those big, many years ago, they were doing these really big 10-year outsourcing deals. So started covering that, then application outsourcing, sort of well before cloud ever came about. <laughs> it was about yeah. application hosting. And so launched a, a research program around that. In that role, I'm sure you're familiar, Jane, you know, analysts have the opportunity to meet with so many different users, uh, you know, companies as well as vendors. And I happened to have a, a customer who I just felt was such a dynamic leader. And I worked with him and his team to help sort of develop their go-to-market strategy and was just inspired by this individual. And so as I presented the strategy, I said, and by the way, I think you should hire me to <laughs> oh, I love that. And so that's, it takes a little bit of chutzpah, I think. And yeah. uh, that's where doors open up. And that's really what landed me in my first B2B marketing role. That was the initial journey. Amazing. Well, anybody coming from Gartner is super impressive. So 
I'm sure he was like, yes, I will definitely take you to, <laughs> to lead this. I was very well, fortunate. How do you feel about customer marketing having its moment right now? Where do you think that came about? And are you just thinking it's about damn time? <laughs> Well, yes, there's that. It is is about damn time. But I think aligned with it's about damn time is giving it better definition. I Mm. think there's a lot of different ideas of what customer marketing is. And in this time, in this economy, where the word marketing is attached to it, it is often kind of put on the back burner. But I know in the conversations I'm having with a lot of revenue leaders, sales leaders, I think the opportunity we have in front of us is that the economy has highlighted the fact that landing new business is just going to be a little bit harder right now as companies are sort of are looking at what they're spending their money on. And that's where highlighting the fact that they need to lean in more boldly, quite frankly, into their yeah. customer base and better understanding what happens after the contract gets signed. And it's more than just this backhanded toss over the wall to customer success and letting them just run with it. Customer success is a very valuable function, especially in the SaaS space. Mm-hmm. But there, I think even the customer success leaders are recognizing that there is more than just that one-to-one engagement that the role was initially crafted as. And I think there's an opportunity to bridge more of customer success and what the marketing skill set provides. What do you see as for customer success, the key roles? I'm sure there's an asterisk, right? That it depends on the organization, but is it one of these or all of the above retention? So keeping the clients happy to the best of your ability beyond product itself. And then there's upselling and cross-selling, right? Is it a combination of the two? And then there's the third for activation, right? Identifying those raving fans, as Leela Gill says. So identifying those and leveraging them and activating them. So is it all of the above? (laughs) It's all of the above, but I would even start first with helping the customer get to that first value as fast as possible. Again, especially with a SaaS product, that onboarding, redefining what was promised pre-contract and making sure that the customer achieves that as quickly as possible. So whatever that onboarding process looks like, it needs to be fast. It needs to land well with the customer and it needs to match whatever they believe they were promised when they agreed to enter into the partnership. And for an organization, being able to craft that onboarding experience in a way that is efficient for the company too. I think when I entered, so about eight or nine years ago, I pivoted my career again, Mm -hmm. and we can of course get into that later, but Yeah, I entered customer success and I did so as an individual contributor. And there was a lot of conversation at the time that this role was about providing white glove service to the customer. And I think we're at a place now where we've evolved past that. I think the sentiment holds true, 
that we want the customer to have the best possible experience. But having that be one-on-one and white glove only, where it's only one person providing it, I think is not realistic. And there needs to be a combination of self-service, of arming the customer with the ability to do it on their own. The I've heard this many times and I agree, the behavior we've all been conditioned to develop as consumers to Google things and search things and figure out why my blinds aren't working properly. Rather than just going back to Home Depot, you go to the website for Level R and you figure it out. And that behavior has moved over to the B2B space as well. And so enabling self-service, I think is a really important piece of it. And I think there's a marketing skill set that I think supports that in a way that I think a lot of companies haven't recognized yet. Agreed. That's really, I'm taking so many notes for me personally to apply (laughs) and and to share. It's so true. I think it's something that we've touched on before the mics turned on, but it, it's, it takes a back burner because on the marketing team, you're almost always focused on filling that funnel and you, you kind of tick the boxes often of these are the things for onboarding that have to get done but it doesn't get the same amount of attention and time and resources as demand gen and lead capture does. So that's interesting. I think it all depends on where a company is in their growth and rightly so, you know, building that land motion is of course a priority as a younger company, but as you start amassing customers, it's also a, a misstep, I think, for companies to simply take that take the motions in demand gen and apply it or just add the customers to the same send list. I think that's a huge misstep because the tone is different. What you're trying to tell them is different. Top of funnel is all about onboarding and getting to first value for a customer. It's not about in the way it is for prospects. That's so true. And what teams, when you're working on onboarding and all of these programs, what teams do you end up working with in the organization? Who do you think is kind of your most important stakeholder? Oh my goodness. Product marketing, in no, yeah. no particular order, but yeah. product marketing, customer success and sales are critical. It cannot happen in a vacuum. It is a cross collaborative effort because you got to make sure that... Yeah the sort of the brand promise that was put out there in the market that product marketing helped drive, helped architect is what's being carried through the experience mm-hmm. in the customer journey. You have to understand what that promise was actually made from sales and make sure that that handoff or I had a sales leader correct me and say, it's not a handoff. Sales never hands off to customer success, <laughs> whatever your organization, however it operates, but that communication between sales and customer success and making sure that you are highlighting and reaffirming whatever that promise or goal was throughout the journey is important. So true. And in that journey, what do you see working right now to help either drive new revenue or retain revenue through CSM? What's working right now? I think the focus is absolutely on on retention, first and foremost, and how not just the customer success can continually reaffirm, is this meeting the goal? of what the customer needs. And again, it has to be from the customer's lens. It can't be 
what you need as an organization. Yeah. And making sure that whatever your touch points are with customers, whether it's your status calls, whether it's the QBR, whether it's in a newsletter, that you're highlighting that along the way. Because I think companies, customers need a reminder. I had customers that were part of a a customer advisory board highlight at one point that we were one of 50 or so vendors that they work with. And it is not realistic if we are sending them multiple emails and we are about one vendor. Now you multiply that by 20, 50, however many, you become Mm -hmm. white noise. And so you have to be a lot more intentional about what you're communicating to the customer. And when you highlight, when you can identify that when the customer has achieved their intended goal, at that point, then pivoting and starting to inform them about, okay, we've helped you do this and be successful at this. Let us understand what your other goals are. And then, Mm -hmm. and that's where it's important. I think for a a marketing, for a customer marketing perspective to offload from customer success, some of the tactical work that tends to fall onto their plate so that when they are talking to the customer and engage with them, that valuable time, they can start digging into other opportunities Mm -hmm. because that relationship between the CSM and the customer is, is very important. And hopefully they establish that, that level of trust. And so they can use that time to start understanding what else is going on in the customer's world and how else can we help rather than through a purely sales motion that a demand gen motion often looks at, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. And you keep things that you're saying are making me think of something I heard this morning on another podcast I was listening to where they were talking about the importance of reminding ourselves that we are talking to humans and not Mm -hmm. users, especially in the SaaS world. I forget who this is. I'll I'll remember and put in show notes, but um, who this guest was on the podcast Marketing Millennials this morning, but she was saying they removed the word users from her company they don't say that word because it makes you think in just numbers like these MQLs, these SQLs, these are not people. Like you think of them as numbers when you say users versus when you say people, you're reminded like I'm talking to Asha. Asha's struggling with A, so I'm going to help her with A through doing this. And you you connect on that human level again. And that's what you're talking about really from soup to nuts is reminding like remembering what message you're sharing with them connecting with them on the marketing level then at the sales side making sure that promise is noted to that person and how you can help them and that handoff or that connection to to cs is then followed through on that and you're connecting with them just continuing to offer value from their perspective not just throwing your product marketing and features at them left and right Absolutely. I mean, you have to remember they bought you for something to do X, help them get to X as fast as you can. And then from an advocacy perspective, help them celebrate that X. That's the other piece of the puzzle. I think throughout the customer journey, understand what your milestones are 90% of the time with your customer. And that's where I think customer success plays a really important role to highlight that to customer marketing in terms of, you know, I've often set up sort of a nomination type format so that the customer marketing team is informed of, 
here's a customer who is really excited right now. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to jump on them to do any one particular thing. But now, you know, here is an individual who was able to meet their goal or their boss spotlighted them or something that made them happy. And you need to be able to react in the moment. Yeah. How can you do that at scale when you're, especially for smaller companies? Um, I'm just curious, how can you think about that from, it's easier, I guess, when you have a small group of customers or, or just for your top tier customers, you can be very, very personalized, but are there are tools that help you do this at scale, or is it more just having more people on your team? I mean, for a smaller organization, you can't expect to invest in all the bells and whistles right out of the gate. Yeah. So even something as simple as setting up a an email, I think I'd set up advocacy at whatever the company was.com and basically educated, did some enablement sessions with both the customer success team as well as sales to say, give them examples. When you have a customer that's shared with you that they just presented on something you provided them and they had a really good response in their meeting or their boss highlighted them or they hit some other goal, send an email. That email goes to whether it was just me, my team, the group of us, And just give us a couple of details and we're going to come back to you with some questions and we'll figure out what the next step is. Yeah. At a very basic level, before you invest in all the different tools, that is how you can make that happen. But you do need someone on the other side that's watching that, that email box and responding because those things are timely and just being, and normally the follow-up to that is often great. Can we participate in your next status call? Can we set up a 15 minute conversation just to better understand why the customer is so excited? And then from there, yeah, learn the customer's motivation on what they'd be interested in doing. I love that actionable advice to get these things started. <laughs> on, on the flip side, so these are a few things that, that do work with customer marketing, but what do you see not working or what are you over or just what do you (laughs) see that that we should not do and stay away from in customer marketing i think what we should stay away from is being reactionary and i don't know that Mm. that's just about customer marketing (laughs) everywhere that's that's sort of a broad brush sort of rule of thumb we need to really lean in on um, across the business and by a reactionary specific to customer marketing it's we'll take from closing new business, for example, it's the need for references, the need for the coveted case study. I like to call them success stories. Case studies, I feel like is very clinical. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) But being reactionary in terms of what is needed to say close business and being more proactive in sort of building a group of customers that then need to get nurtured. I think that's often the thing that gets overlooked when it comes to identifying customers who can be advocates in whatever capacity, whether it's providing a testimonial, speaking at various events, maybe it's just a one-to-one reference. Once you identify these people, there needs to be some nurturing that happens because oftentimes the requests come in at the very last minute. That's sort of the thing that I'm kind of maybe done with is that belief that 
just because you have an individual or a group of individuals that sit in this role that is customer marketing or advocacy, we can just spin these people up at the snap of our fingers. And that's not how it works. And you don't want to burn out customers either. So true. It's great to have. I need to do that myself um, because I'm thinking when it is time to get that testimonial or a speaker, it's a scramble to try to find somebody and then they have to get approval and people are busy, right? Everybody's so swamped, especially lately. So trying to get them involved and it just takes so much time. But if you have this bank of advocates that you've already built and have been nurturing, it makes that job a little bit easier. Yeah adding to my to-do list. (laughs) I I will highlight one more thing that I think we need to move past, which is the vanity metric Hmm. of we want 50 logos or we want 70 case studies. It's such a random number. And I often say, well, where did that number come from? And it's a vanity metric. A goal for the sake of having a goal. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, if you're going to do it correctly, a lot of effort goes into uncovering those. And at the end of the day, those logos, those use, those success stories, those testimonials have to be relevant to how sales is selling. Mm -hmm. So... Whatever the use cases that have been identified in that process that, you know, usually it's product marketing, marketing that's leading that, whatever those use cases are, is that how sales is selling? Is that how the bulk of your business that you are land, that you're booking, is that how they're booking it under those use cases? And if so, great, Mm -hmm. then let's get stories. Let's get testimonials and references that back that up versus just a vanity metric of a whole bunch of logos. Yeah. It goes back to sales enablement, right? At the end of the day, all aspects of marketing are to help sales and the customer. So how can we do that? What can we pull for them and have it be strategic, not Mm -hmm. just a number for the sake of creating goals and content? Yeah. Yeah. It has to be what you, how you want your product to land with customers and with prospects. Love that. Done with vanity metrics. (laughs) (laughs) You've also touched on a couple of times the the importance of a customer advisory board. So I was curious if we could dive into that a little bit before I Mm want to go into your your personal journey. So creating a customer advisory board and building a community, what do you see? Do you think there's value in, in each of those for every company or is it very dependent on the company that is looking into this or what should the goals be around creating either a community or a customer advisory board? Sure. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> there are ways to engage each of those three different personalities or personas. Yeah. I think a customer advisory board is a great program to engage that executive layer. These are individuals that have very little time they, all three of those value engagement with peers. So it's one is not more more important than the other, but I feel a customer advisory board or a customer council does that in a way that is approachable for an executive level. Mm. How you approach it in organizing your cab, that also depends on the executive team needs of the organization needs to have buy-in of your company needs to have buy-in and be clear on what they want to 
achieve. I was mm-hmm. uh, on a Slack thread this morning where, and that seems to be a, com- a question that's coming up a lot around cows. Ah. And there's lots of ideas around or lots of thoughts around, well, you know, product roadmap is really important and peer-to-peer engagement is really important and access to your executive team is really important. And I, to all of that, I would say, yes, you can't do it all at once. Yeah, I've stood up a cab a few times and I was actually really fortunate the very first time to have the support of an external consultant that had a tried and true framework. And I've now leveraged that framework a few times across a, a couple of different organizations. And I am a believer that it works. Very and that's cool. making sure you understand internally what the topics are top of mind understand from the customers that you're inviting to be a part of the cab, what's top of mind for them. And that will help develop your agenda, but then always leaving time for the unknown. And by the unknown, I will say, as an example, we had a standing cab meeting, I think the last week of March in 2020. Oh gosh. And we had an agenda. (laughs) In person. No, no, it was not in person. Okay, um, okay. We had already had them in person. <laughs> Typically we kick off with in person and then we do the following quarterly meetings uh, um, virtually. This was a virtual meeting, thankfully, but we ultimately made the decision at the moment. We're scrapping the agenda and we're just giving space for all of these C-level executives to just talk about what we were experiencing real time. And it was so welcomed. It was so appreciated because you really have to kind of lean into the moment and understand what their needs are. Yeah. I feel like that's a number one lesson as we go into marketing, right? For anybody that's going into this field, you have to have that flexibility and agility. Mm -hmm. Always have a plan. Always be willing to scrap it because the market changes so much. Your customers' needs change so much you need to be able to roll with it. I mean, if anything, the past three years taught us that, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But you also, you know, getting back to your original question in terms of cab versus community, uh, community, I've definitely learned that your executives are not going to log into your community and and (laughs) there. So the CMOs aren't going to go in. (laughs) No, (laughs) but I do think community is a fantastic tool. Now it all depends on what your product is. It depends on the audience, but I do think that having a community is a fantastic locate digital space. That's your space for your champions and your users who are all people to engage. But there's a process for that too, which is you can't simply stand up a community and expect all of a sudden people are going to be enthusiastically sharing their most, their innermost needs around your product. It just doesn't happen. You need to build that trust. And I think addressing their needs the self-service functionality, how to be successful with your product is the way to initially build that trust. And from there, you will start to see engagement beyond just support related type needs. Yeah. Yes. That's interesting because I know so many people are launching and have launched the past couple of years, new communities. And it's definitely not a situation of if you build it, they will come or they will engage. It doesn't work that way. There it's has not to the be a strategy. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's more you build it and then you nurture it and you yeah how do you how do you stop it from being a complaint community and more so and like a support looking for support versus having peers connect with one another beyond your product if it's a SaaS company for instance like beyond talking about the product deeper than that and finding value and connecting with each other it's probably it's got to be so hard to create that it takes time. There's an organization, the Community Roundtable, that I engaged with several years ago when I stood up a community for the first time. And they have a framework that's the staircase. I'm sure they're not going to be happy that I described it that way. But uh. at the very first step, it's about gaining, having content in there that serves the purpose for what your audience needs in the moment. And that is about how can I be successful with this product? Yeah. Once you leapfrog from there, and I, I've i created an onboarding journey within the community. Again, that's part of support as well. But feeding into the needs of what your customers want with your product and giving them space to help each other. Yeah. Letting a question sit to see if a another power user, and again, all this takes nurturing, will we'll yeah. step in and respond. I think um, product feedback yep. is, in my opinion, the lowest hanging fruit in terms of how to engage with customers. Every customer wants to give their input yes. on how your product could be better for them. Yeah, and see it come to life, right? See them and make see that change. Exactly. <laughs> Doing that in a space that's sort of cr- taking that crowdsourcing approach. Yeah. It's scary for product oftentimes, but getting back to your, the initial, your initial question around maybe some of that negative feedback, it's my response has always been, and I know my peers who are in the community space also see it this way as well. I would much rather have, if somebody's going to want to, communicate their bad experience with their product, they're going to do it. You can't prevent them from doing it. I would much rather give them the space to do it where I know someone within our organization can respond in a helping manner. It's no different than you have a horrible experience at a restaurant or a hotel and you share that. Well, the hope is that someone from that establishment comes back at you with, I'm so sorry you had that experience. Let me see how I can help you. Exactly. How can we turn it around? It gives you more control where they're complaining and, or, and it brings something to light, right? So whatever they're complaining about is good feedback. So if there is that complaint, you now know of it, you're aware of it, can bring it to product and can talk to the customer. So it does create a positive environment if you're not super defensive. (laughs) Every feedback, every piece of feedback is a gift. Absolutely. Love that. And Asha, I want to pivot a little bit Mm -hmm. to, we were talking before we turned the mics on about re-entering the workforce. And you, you touched on this a little bit earlier that you eight or nine years ago came into customer success. And then before that, there were more pivots. Like how do you make these career pivots? And if you could tell us a little bit about your biggest changes um, and challenges throughout your career. Yeah, absolutely. When I left Gartner and I started with that outsourcing application outsourcing company, that That really put me on the path of marketing. And I had the opportunity to really get my hands dirty in every different facet of marketing, AR, PR, 
events, partner marketing, brand. Um, I relaunched a brand, you know, so it was really exciting to be able to do that. And then like so many women do, I then was grappling with being a mom and spending more time with my children and juggling the travel. And we made the decision that I would take some time off. And that time off became six years. And in that time, also went through a divorce. And it was the thing that I wanted to highlight for your audience, because I love your mission of this podcast, really being a voice for women in B2B marketing is also touching upon the the struggles of re-entering the workforce, of building back that confidence and figuring out what you want to do next, because sometimes re-entering the workforce in the capacity of what you were doing isn't the best step isn't always available to you. There's so many reasons that you have to evaluate. And I found myself in that place as I was looking at the market and what it was that I wanted, what I needed based on raising young children as a single parent. And in my research, I uncovered this space called SAS. And I started talking to people, you know, reactivating my network. It's always important to kind of stay engaged with your network Mm -hmm. and discovered this function called customer success. And so I felt at the time for a variety of different reasons that going back into marketing just might not have been the right step for me at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I really got interested. Well, actually, let me step back. I had this voice in my head from back when I was working in marketing that I always thought I wanted to be in sales. Ah. And so I actually, the company that I ended up joining, I spoke to one of the sales leaders and it was a whole new space. It was in cybersecurity. And their response to me was, well, you haven't really sold anything. You haven't carried a number and you don't know the space. So let's start slowly. Why don't you join our customer success organization and Mm -hmm. learn about our, learn about cybersecurity and our product, and then we'll see what happens from there. And so, so it was a combination of, I discovered this thing called CS and the sales leader was saying to me, yeah, you're not a believable salesperson. <laughs> so pushed so you in a good direction though. <laughs> I put me in a good direction. And I think I think the lesson there is ask questions and be open to new possibilities. It might not be comfortable. It sure was not comfortable for me when yeah. I first into that role because it was coming out of several years of not working and it's in a new environment. WebEx and Zoom didn't exist when I stopped working. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so I think there's, you just have to be open to ask questions and consider things that are outside of maybe what might've been your comfort zone, because it could open up even bigger possibilities, which is how I feel I ended the path I ended up going down. Yeah. I love that. And we're seeing, I mean, so many people right now are are opting to take time off or being forced into time off and, and embracing it. Right. But either way, taking some sort of a sabbatical, I'm hearing that word a lot right now, especially after the past few years. So for anybody that is taking that time off, be it to raise a family or to 
to just take care of yourself and your mm-hmm. your mental state. What advice from your experience going through that would you would you give to them for coming back in after they've taken that time off? I really needed I know for me personally, I needed a trigger that made me feel I can do this. And yes. while in my head I knew I'm going I'm going to be going back into the workforce, I want to go back into the workforce. I needed something that really pushed me over the line. And that I think is different for everybody on what that is. Maybe it's a book, maybe it's some coaching, some therapy, maybe it's a friend. I'll see about again. <laughs> really getting out of my comfort zone and you know, I ran a marathon. Oh. <laughs> Nice. That gave you that empowered feeling probably, right? Absolutely did. I am not a runner. I would never call myself a runner, but I said, I can do this. I ran the Boston marathon in 2014, which was the year after the full marathon, the full marathon and the training process, you know, here in the Boston area, and I would, and again, not a runner, but for the Boston Marathon, which happens in, in April, the training typically starts January one or whatever day after that. And so that process of planning that out and building the physical and mental strength to tackle that is what ultimately gave me kind of that mojo and that energy to say, okay, I can do this. Yeah. I mean, if you can, I have so much respect for people who can run a marathon. I could never, ever do that. <laughs> I just don't have that stamina. So the fact that you set this goal for yourself not already being an avid runner and you followed through and no injuries. Uh, a little, you know, <laughs> I, I did hear something in my, in, in a I leg, feel like that but, has know, to got, happen, right? <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. But, but kudos, you made it, it through the line. That's thank huge. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it, it was a one and done. I checked the box, yeah. but you know, everybody needs something that's yeah. going to kind of truly motivate them and, and make them feel empowered. I and that. I think that is something that I want other people coming back from whatever that reason was that they took the sabbatical. Yes. If they need that to find whatever it is, that's going to kind of really empower them. That's really great advice. Do you, if you don't, you should consider doing this, but do you hang your medal above your laptop? I feel like that'd be (laughs) such a good reinforcing visual to have for you every day to start your day strong. (laughs) I don't anymore for the longest time. I did I know in a lot of uh, those award shows and the Oscars, they always ask, well, where do you have your Oscar? And they're like, oh, it's in my bathroom. So for the longest time, I kept my medal in my bathroom. Oh, so funny. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you'll see it several times a day, right? So a good reminder. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. It's a good memory. Yeah, that's really good advice. It's almost like an action for you know how that there's that advice for to get through imposter syndrome, which I'm sure is part of the battle whenever you get back into the workforce for whatever reason. The power pose where you're supposed to do your yeah. superhero pose, you stand yeah, yeah. up. And you, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So this what your advice is is kind of making me feel that it's the action version of that. Like do something, take action that gives you that innate power pose. Yeah. I love it. We have it all in us. I truly believe like we have the power of choice. And so we have it in us to make that choice of where we want to go. I love it. Thank you, Asha, for sharing that.
Sometimes we need a good swift kick in the butt. It doesn't always come from inside. So that's where I think it was Karen Scott in your earlier episode that said about the having your personal board, which um, she inspired me to, uh, as I was telling you earlier, yeah, to reach out to some of those people that, and just let them know how that I feel that they're on my personal board and putting a name to it. Yeah. I think that's when you told me you were going to do that, it just makes me... It gives me that good, glowing, warm feeling inside, right? Because it, when people, if anyone ever reaches out to you just to share that you added some value to their world and their life in some reason, that that's going to make their day. So I'm very excited for the impact you'll have on on just letting people know they're on your board. Yeah. So. And it's, again, the other thing I had said to you too, and it's not just about work, it's yeah. it's also about just your day-to-day as a human being as a woman, as a mom, as as an empty nester now, uh, as I am, there's so we all have so many different facets of ourselves. It's not just yeah. about work. And so the people who are on your personal board are there to impact all all the different pieces of you. Yes, so true. I'm glad you broadened my horizon on that because I was just thinking first personal board is a great thing to establish. And I was just thinking with blinders of it for marketing, even not just even greater business and now personal, it is a personal board after all. So I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Asha, what to wrap things up a little bit here, what podcasts or book or class, any of the above are you focused on or do you recommend today? So I think a couple of, I finished Adam Grant's Think Again um, Mm. a little while back, but I I feel like I need to go back to it. A good friend of mine who recommended it to me, he's really good at taking copious notes on these types of books and and really going back and ingesting them and applying them. And so I I need to, to go back to that and do that. I just started this book that was also recommended to me called How Will You Measure Your Life? And so I'm just at the front end of that. And I'm looking forward to really digging in, digging in there as well. My podcast game is, I think, leaning more. I canceled my cable. And so I'm trying to get my information about what's going on in the world in Ah. through the voices. And so it's a combination of NPR, The Economist, Politicology, and then whole host of Gang Grow Retain. I've been turned on to your wonderful podcast now. Um, A a woman that's been helping me in my journey of looking for my next opportunity. Lauren Greif's just started her podcast around uh, Career Blast and a Half. So she's bringing on some really incredible people there as well. So there's a whole swath of awesome professionally related content that I'm absorbing in in podcast form and then getting back to my yoga practice. (laughs) Oh, good. That's movement helps so much, right? I just started getting back into Pilates and it's been a game changer. Yes, (laughs) very important. It's very, okay. very important. I will put all of these links in show notes. I'll need to check out Lauren Greif's new show. That that sounds amazing. I'll check it out. And if you have the links, if you can send them my way, I'll include them in, in show I notes. Will. And Asha, last, last question is, what piece of advice would you have for your younger self just pivoting from accounting into marketing? Oh my goodness. Um, so many lessons learned, right? <laughs> 
So many lessons learned. So my parents immigrated to this country um, before I came along. And the thing that my father always used to say to me is, you know, be curious. But if you want to do something, just go and even if you you have to sit there and just watch. And this is, of course, the he would say to the teenage version of me. But I think in that same spirit, it's be curious and find those people who are going to lift you up. Yes. And then They're make so sure cool. you turn around and help other people as well. Oh, that's a good one. I just started talking to my son at the dinner table about I forget if I get this from Dr. Becky or from someone else, but um, <laughs> who helped you today and who did you help today? So starting to get his gears turning about thinking about that, the reciprocation is so key, right? So who can you lift up and who can you impact today? That is fantastic. I think there's so much that I would bring back of what happened during the work day and talk to my two children about who yeah. are now in their 20s. One who's just started in his first job and the other one's still in college. And children listen when the phones are down, but <laughs> <laughs> they, they do listen. And I had some really great CEOs at my companies and um, other bosses and peers. And I've shared so much day to day yeah. and they remember these people and they remember some of what I've shared as they are encountering situations wow. that, you know, some way are similar. Yeah. And I do think that's so important to share what we are learning as adults every day. Yes. There is benefit for your children to, it's not just about what's the latest TikTok, song, <laughs> video, <Yes>. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just about talking about what's in the world, in their world. I think it's important for you to talk about what's in your world for them. Yes. Completely agree. It's so good to connect with a fellow mom too. There's so much I'm sure we can chat about offline. Give me some potty training tips. <laughs> That's the battle I'm in right now. <laughs> but Asha, thank you so much for, yes. Marathon. <laughs> you know, me and marathons don't mix. So, <laughs> but thank you, Asha, for joining us today. It's, uh, this was a pleasure to talk with you about customer marketing and your personal journey and so many tips of advice and so many notes I have here that I'll put in show notes, but Thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening. Please like, rate us, review, leave some comments, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm sure Asha feels the same. If anyone does want to reach out to you, Asha, to chat anything customer marketing or beyond, where's the best way for them to find you? LinkedIn is the best way, is the best way to reach me. And so I'd be happy to connect with anybody interested on any of those topics. And Jane, it was so nice to have this conversation with you. I love what you're doing with this podcast. Thank you so much trying here. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. Asha will definitely be in touch. Thank you, everyone.